This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Another puppy snatched by a cougar. I was able to kick the cougar. I couldn't fight anymore. It was like... It was, it was very aggressive, very big. With big cats on the prowl, the worst time to take your pet for a walk. Glass company employees jump to the front of the queue. When we can give our public health officials the means to address some of those outbreaks and reduce transmission, that's exactly the right thing to do. Why they're among the first to get the Pfizer vaccine and springing ahead. I have several clocks and by the time six months goes around, I can't remember how to set them. Why time is dragging on for those who want to end the practice. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. A search and rescue member has been left heartbroken after the puppy he was training was snatched by a cougar. It happened in Anmore last night, the latest in a series of frightening cougar encounters. And it comes with a warning for other pet owners in the region. Jordan Armstrong reports. Only had him for a few nights, yeah, but, uh, but fell in love pretty quick. Little Diaz never had a chance. The attack over in 45 seconds. Cougar paw prints, all that remain. So as I was walking this way, you could see the prints where it where it came up and charged me, and then you could see the gravel where it was disturbed. The three-month-old puppy was on leash, being walked by owner Isaac Heisler when the big cat pounced. It's just, it's so quick, yeah. and it's so vicious, and it's so fierce, you, you can't, uh, you don't have any time. It happened on Anmore's main drag, Sunnyside Road, at 7.20 Thursday night. You know, you could see the prints, so I fell backwards here. Um, I was kind of playing tug-of-war with him for about 45 seconds. A little slack came in the leash. I was able to kick the cougar, and I just I couldn't fight anymore. He estimates the cat was 120 pounds. His new German Shepherd at 22 pounds was no match. That he was gone. Yeah, I, I knew he was gone right away. I, you know, I was hoping he would be the search and rescue dog, but we're trying to search for him. You heard right. The pup was a rescue dog in waiting. 22-year-old Heisler is a volunteer firefighter and a dedicated Coquitlam search and rescue team member. So it was going to be a very helpful dog that was going to make an impact. It's the second time a pet has been killed by a cougar this week. Tuesday night, just two and a half kilometers away, a small dog was fatally mauled in Port Moody. And this cougar was recently caught on camera in Anmore. This is abnormal behavior. It's not known if the same cat is responsible for both attacks. Conservation officers will stay in the area this weekend to respond to any sightings. For now, it's best to avoid walking your dogs, even on leash, at dawn and dusk. That's when cougars are typically active. And if you encounter a cougar, be aggressive. Pick up your dog, if possible, and slowly back away while maintaining eye contact. Heisler is urging his neighbors to be vigilant. He doesn't want anyone else to lose a family member. I think people need to be very careful with their animals and their, and their, and their, their young kids. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. 
The B.C. Law Courts building in downtown Vancouver was evacuated this afternoon when smoke from a fire in the underground parking garage got inside. Just before 3 o'clock, people inside the building started to smell the smoke. Within a few minutes, it was rising from the concrete and glass structure. Those, were, those inside were asked to leave. Uh, the duty chief from Vancouver Fire and Rescue Services tells Global News the fire involved some construction material in the parkade beneath the building. Crews managed to locate it quickly, but say it was a difficult firefight. Yeah, I mean, obviously underground parkade, full of black smoke, the, the, the visibility was very poor. But when they actually got to the seat of the fire, they, uh, they encountered a 40-yard bin um, full of construction debris, fully charged and flames. Uh, the problem with the fire is obviously is, is, is the access is terrible and there's so much black smoke, you, you can barely get to it. The building is closed for the rest of the evening to allow the smoke and the smell to clear. There are new developments tonight in the investigation into a pregnant Mountie's apparent suicide. After Global News reported on the family's concerns in the case, the coroner has now ordered an autopsy to be performed. And Ramina Dea has more explosive details about the relationship between Constable Jasmine Tiara and her supervisor. The autopsy will likely be done next week, says Martin Peters, the lawyer representing the victim's family. Richmond RCMP Constable Jasmine Tiara was found dead on the Moray Bridge in Richmond from a single gunshot wound to the head the night of February 21st. She was caring, she was compassionate, and she has a family who loves her so, so much and knows her so, so well that we won't stop until we get answers. That was the victim's sister earlier this week. The family too distraught to speak Friday after learning new details from the coroner. Details Peters says he can't fully reveal because it could compromise other investigations. What we now know is at the time of death, Constable Tiara was four weeks pregnant, not 14 weeks, says Peters, adding it was a clerical error. At four weeks, it's too early to know the viability of a fetus. Tiara's family thought it was ectopic, meaning the fetus would not survive. The director in charge of BCRCMP Communications, Don Roberts, now confirming the force is investigating allegations of an inappropriate relationship between Constable Tiara and her supervisor. Any time that you have a senior officer, superior officer in relationship with a junior officer, um, you have a power imbalance. The victim's family is calling for a coroner's inquest. The Independent Investigations Office says Tiara's death appears to be suicide. The police watchdog tells Global News it hopes to have an update next week. At least three separate investigations are underway, which is why the IIO, RCMP and Coroner Service say they can't answer specific questions. Romina Dea, Global News. A back alley brawl caught on camera in Surrey is now under investigation. And a warning, although the video has been blurred, it may still be disturbing to some of you. In video posted to social media, two youths can be seen fighting while a large group looks on. At one point, a person appears to pepper spray both youths, and another person appears to pull out a gun. Officers say they became aware of the fight on Tuesday and have already identified some of the individuals believed to be involved. This happened in an alleyway near Panorama Secondary School where a youth was stabbed last week. Three teens were arrested in connection to that incident.
We are aware of the stabbing that occurred at the Panorama Secondary School last week and both of these incidents are being investigated separately and at this point there is no nexus between the two. However, we are open to all possibilities. Surrey RCMP are appealing to anyone with information to contact them or Crime Stoppers. The RCMP bomb disposal unit has been called in to investigate a string of explosions in Penticton. The latest was discovered at McNichol Park near the school last night. Experts conducted two controlled detonations. The sounds terrifying to residents already on edge by other recent discoveries. In recent days, two other devices exploded at Kings Park soccer field and Carmi Elementary. Damage is considered minor and no one was hurt in any of the explosions. The devices are described as unsophisticated and likely a home experiment. At this time, we don't believe it's a, a significant threat to the public. We are extremely concerned, however, of the motivations and where these little bombs are occurring. We're thankful that they are not occurring near buildings. They're not occurring at times that uh, children and other people are uh, in those areas a lot. And so we're thankful for that. Now to the COVID-19 situation. So far, the focus of BC's vaccination program has been frontline healthcare workers, care facility residents, and now seniors. And Global News can confirm the province has pivoted also to making sure some companies are bumped up in the queue vaccinating all of their employees. Richard Zussman explains why they've become a priority. It is the smiling face of someone who has just received a COVID-19 vaccine. One of the hundreds of employees at Vitrum Glass and Langley who received the Pfizer shot. And this was a decision they made with us, the small amount of vaccine that we've received from the federal government. Only 7% of people in the province have been vaccinated to reduce transmission in community. Vitrum was the site of a COVID-19 outbreak, but it's unclear when and how many people were infected. And it brings up the question how the province is picking and choosing who to vaccinate against the virus. This is about vulnerability to COVID-19 in uh, particular workplaces. And that is exactly the approach, uh, Richard. And, uh, and I think it's the right approach. The decision is leading to concerns from others hoping to get the job. The BC Teachers Federation says the province needs to be clear on the priority list. I'm aware that some communities are um, being vaccinated and, and some workplaces, but there's a lack of clarity around exactly why that is. And so I think it's really hard to explain, especially to teachers. Police officers also concerned. The head of the union in Vancouver, upon hearing the news of the glass company getting priority, wasn't impressed. With certainty, I can tell you that our members will not be happy. Uh, there's certainly some members that have uh, already questioned how uh, the priority lists have uh, come about. Then there's the AstraZeneca vaccine. The province will be using it specifically for clusters and outbreaks. And it will then be used for essential workers. But we don't know which essential workers and they won't have access to it until at least the end of April. The sooner the better um, for the vaccination process, especially again in areas of the province that are been, being hard hit. The province set to announce next week the priority list for essential workers. There are 68,000 doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine in the current shipment, but all are going to clusters and community spread, with 41,000 of those doses set to expire April 3rd. 132,000 doses are set to come at the end of April. These will be targeted for essential workers, an additional 68,000 doses in May. I would like to see first responders, police officers at the front of that line, 
Uh, and I say that because uh, we do not generally get to work in a very clinical environment. As for why Vitrum Glass was deemed high risk for community spread, Fraser Health did not respond to requests for details. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A concerning jump in new COVID-19 cases today. We mark the second highest daily case number since the start of the year. We have 648 new infections. That brings BC's total to 86,867. More than 5,000 of those cases are active, with 255 people in hospital. Thankfully, we've had no new deaths overnight, but there are more than 9,000 people in self-isolation, the highest since the start of the year. More than 380,000 doses of vaccine have been administered. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now. Keith, the uptick is concerning to a lot of people mm -hmm. who have been watching the numbers, of course. What have we learned about where these cases are? Yeah, we're back to the pattern of COVID-19 that we saw back in uh, November and December, Chris. Uh, for a time, Fraser and Vancouver Coastal is starting to flatten the curve. That's not happening now, folks. Uh, the lion's share of the cases are in Vancouver Coastal and Fraser. They have 60, a little more than 60% of the population. But take a look at the numbers here. The numbers on the right are the cases of the last seven days. They've got 80% of new cases from yesterday, 81% of active cases, and 85% of the hospitalizations are in these two health authorities. Again, this is disproportionate to the number of people who live there. Quite concerning. These are the two areas that cannot simply flatten the curve right now and account for the lion's share of cases going back several weeks now. All right. Uh, I crunched the numbers. Looks like about 14,000 vaccines were administered today. Uh, mm -hmm. You've got some interesting data on how much vaccine is going to be arriving in B.C. over the coming weeks. Yeah, kind of eye-popping numbers. Richard laid out the AstraZeneca numbers for the coming weeks. Take a look at what's going to happen in terms of doses arriving in B.C. over the short term. This week alone, we've got six, more than 60,840 uh, 60, Pfizer vaccines, more than 56,000 Moderna, and 68,000 AstraZeneca, as Richard mentioned. But next week is going to slow down a bit. Uh, not as much coming, just a little more than 60,800 Pfizer. But then take a look at the last week of, uh, of March, 161,000 doses plus of Pfizer, more than 112,000 doses of Moderna. And then the following week, 162,000 doses of Pfizer. So the numbers are going to start adding up very quickly, Chris. You know, we sort of focused on about 50,000 people, seniors, getting vaccinated this past week. We're not going to be talking about 50,000 people very soon. We're going to be talking about hundreds of thousands of people getting a shot over a relatively short period of time. I work it out to about 40,000 people a day, seven days a week going forward for the next few months. It's quite a staggering operation. It's going to be very interesting to see how it rolls out. It sure is. It's uh, amazing to see those numbers coming in. we got to get them out the door quicker, yeah. too. All right. Thanks very much, Keith. It looks like the home delivery of alcohol is here to stay. The B.C. government has announced the temporary rules allowing liquor primary and food primary businesses to sell and deliver liquor with a meal are now permanent. Home deliveries were allowed when the pandemic broke out to help liquor and food businesses survive. The government says making it permanent will help about 8,000 businesses with long-term certainty. Safeguards like identity verification will remain in place and delivery people will have to be certified with serving it right. When spring break feels like a breakout, relaxing the rules on outdoor gatherings gives families more freedom than before. But before you get too far down the road, a reminder, COVID still presents great risk. And that is next on the NewsHour. Lived up to its name just an hour after we first ran a story about it. That's coming up on the NewsHour. 
And smoke eaters, world beaters, celebrating 60 years since the team from Trail took the hockey world by storm. That's later. Right now, though, BC's second spring break under the shadow of the pandemic has begun, and the combination of vaccine rollouts and easing restrictions has more people thinking about getting away from it all. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, government officials at all levels are urging people to travel with care. It doesn't take much to get people outside, add a little sunshine to a newly amended provincial health order, and people flock to the seawall. It works well today, yeah, we're with our cousins. <laughs> Hanging out with your newly expanded bubble of 10 still needs to be outdoors and at a distance, but it is a welcome change from the last four months. It is great to be outside, but us maybe not too comfortable going with too many people, you know? A day after the newly gained freedom, and the question on many people's minds is already travel. Dr. Henry's orders, typically vague, leaving the door open to interpretation. Over March break, if you are a family and you're going to your, your cabin um, and you're self-contained, that that's okay. Despite the caveats and warnings, people are traveling anyway. For the mayor of Kimberley, it means clear communications for locals and guests. We managed to navigate through all the holidays uh, so far, and I'm confident that uh, that respect for the protocols will last through spring break and, and will do just fine. Spring break, usually a huge shot in the arm for the tourism sector. This is the second year in a row it will be pinched by the pandemic. The provincial government fully aware people are taking advantage of the break. We want you to come and visit. We want you to stay in hotels, but we want you to practice the protocols and don't be a bubble crusher. Don't put people at risk. Don't put a strain on the health care system. Despite the optimism, daily case counts unsustainably high, with officials monitoring closely the spread of variants. Red flags, though, not strong enough signals to keep some people home. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Still ahead, confirming COVID infections more quickly. BC cancer researchers use their expertise to work on a breath test that takes only minutes. And time for a change. People have had it with springing ahead and falling back, but BC won't budge yet. A very busy afternoon leaving the North Shore. Southbound Lionsgate Bridge here backing up quite significantly. And moments ago, there was an ambulance going across the bridge, so it's only one lane each direction right now. Iron Workers Bridge also quite busy southbound into Vancouver. Kermac Collision and Autoglass provides no-cost windshield chip repairs for your with your insurance coverage. And Kermac donates 100% of their income from chip repairs for kids. In Global One above the Lionsgate Bridge, I'm Tim Main. Premier John Horgan says the provinces and Ottawa are in agreement on the use of vaccine passports. Vaccine validation is a hot topic across the globe as countries prepare for a post-pandemic world. In Israel, the so-called Green Pass gives people with proof of vaccination access to travel and public venues. Premier Horgan says vaccine proof for travel is important, but he can't see it being used to control access to local events here. When it comes to travel, international travel specifically, there's an absolute need to make sure that you can certify that you've been vaccinated coming into a community. Uh, but in regular activities uh, in Richmond or Vancouver or Victoria or Kelowna, 
Uh, we don't see the value of that at this time, but we'll continue to monitor it. And if there's a need to change uh, what I've seen over the past year from the prime minister and my colleagues is that we're prepared to work collaboratively to pivot to meet the needs of British Columbians and Canadians. And we'll continue to do that. Of vaccine passports raise concerns about discrimination, privacy and coronavirus variants. Meanwhile, the IATA, a Montreal-based trade group which represents 290 airlines, is planning to release the Travel Pass, which is an app that lets users upload proof of vaccination later this month. Scientists at the BC Cancer Research Institute are developing a new COVID-19 test that will come as a relief for anyone who dreads the swab up the nose ordeal, a breath test that's not only far less invasive, but produces results in just minutes. Linda Aylesworth has the details. Since COVID-19 came to town, it's been pretty quiet down on the Dragon Boat docks in Falls Creek. I think the last time that we had Dragon Boats on the water was about one year to the day last year. Right now we're seeing about 30 to 50 people a day as opposed to our usual like about 2,000 or so. The annual Dragon Boat Festival has been pushed from the spring to hopefully the fall, but that all depends on a few things, like finding a better way to test for COVID-19. If we had rapid testing, it absolutely would help all of our participants feel more safe and secure. And you'll take a big breath in, fill your lungs with a breath, and then you're going to exhale in this tube. Enter the BC Cancer Research Institute, which had been working on a breath test to diagnose lung cancer when the pandemic hit. So we quickly switched gears to see if we could detect COVID-19 through volatile organic compounds in breath. We're not actually looking to detect the virus, but we're looking to detect the damage or the changes that the virus has caused once it's entered our body in the breath that we exhale. Why did BC cancer researchers get involved? Because of the concerns their immune-compromised patients have when visiting the cancer clinic just across the street. They would have that confidence to come in and know it's a safe space. So far, 350 participants have been tested in order to pinpoint which volatile organic compounds they should focus on. The advantages of a breath test, it would be non-invasive and fast. You can get your result back in less than a minute instead of going back and having to wait for a day, sometimes up to three days, depending on where you are in the province. Of course, switching to COVID research required money, $100,000 to start with. For that, Concord Pacific stepped up. I think I'm pretty proud that it's all happening in Vancouver too, right? No, but this is like what they need now. And if they need more, we'll support them. Blow, blow, blow. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, yesterday was exactly a year since the pandemic began. And if you remember, the first several weeks, barely any cars were on the road. And that massive shift in travel habits created an unprecedented opportunity for air quality research. And meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on what we've learned since then, Christy. Yeah, so that's right. It's really one of the few silver linings of the pandemic, clean air. And during the first several weeks, the urban areas, in particular city of Vancouver, saw a drop to 50 to 60% of the average daily traffic. Since then, it has slowly increased, although it's only up to about 85, 90%. But that massive drop in the number of cars on the roads allowed organizations like Metro Vancouver to study the impact of traffic emissions like never before. So when we looked at the data for the pollutants that are typically associated with traffic-related emissions, we saw in some more urban areas up to 20 or 30% reductions in these pollutants. And we certainly did see a much larger reduction in traffic volume. We didn't see that same 50 to 60% reduction 
in pollution con concentration because there's a lot of different factors that play into uh, ambient concentrations. And also Metro Vancouver generally experiences very good air quality. And this is true when you look at other countries that um, may have seen a much larger reduction in the uh, pollution concentrations um, where they were starting from a much higher level. So to us, that's a pretty significant reduction so the key finding from this study is really proof that there is correlation between traffic levels and pollution concentrations. But not only that, as organizations like Metro Vancouver build ambitious climate action plans, they're hoping that what we experienced during COVID has created some awareness and urgency in the community. What all of that has shown us through COVID is, you know, a sense of what's possible, and that we need to take really bold action to find the equivalent level of emission reductions through the policies and interventions that we're putting in place here at Metro Vancouver. You know, we're looking at uh, reducing our, our uh, greenhouse gas levels by 45% from 2010 levels by the year 2030, and being a carbon neutral region by the year 2050, in other words, net zero carbon emissions. So those are pretty drastic reductions. One of the, the transformative things would be to have you know, our region switch to predominantly electric vehicles, uh, both at the light duty level, like passenger cars, but also heavy duty vehicles like uh, commercial transport. So really, the change in pollution levels that we experienced during COVID is really very encouraging because it showed us that the environment can recover if we just change our actions. Yeah, long way to go, <laughs> but, but good that we're on the right path. Absolutely. All right, thanks very much, Christy. Up next, Living Wild on Vancouver Island. Almost a pack or, or mob type mentality. An explosion in the population of people camping in the rough and why residents are growing concern. Also celebrating the smoke eaters 60 years after one of the most unlikely victories in sports. Well, commercial drive in Vancouver has some ongoing incidents here. I believe maybe a police incident just near 14th Avenue. So southbound one lane open. Northbound looks like they may be directing traffic through here. But if you can, just avoid it. Just save yourself the trouble. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside Walmarts and the real Canadian superstores throughout BC. For hours and locations, visit sussexinsurance.com. Open every day. In Global One above Vancouver, I'm Tim Main. Since the beginning of the pandemic, there's been a major increase in the number of people camping on Crown land or along forestry roads. And as you'll see, many of them don't pack out what they pack in. Kylie Stanton shows us why residents on the west coast of Vancouver Island are not looking forward to the return of warmer weather. Tarps, tents and trailers. This has been the situation in communities along the west coast of Vancouver Island for nearly a year now campers moving into the backcountry, making themselves at home. And now surrounding communities are bracing for another wave. It's all over the place. The campers are there by choice or not. The summer of 2020 saw hundreds of people coming from across the country, destined for places like Euclid, Tofino and Port Alberni. Wow. With no place to stay and no plan for basic amenities, they left health and environmental concerns in their wake. There's, there's a lot of concern. There's concern for the people and their well-being out there also. I mean, you're a long way from getting help if you need it. You have no cell service. None of these things are in place. Logging roads in the Alberni Clayquot Regional District have become encampments. 
but the problem has also crept into the communities themselves. We're seeing it on our side streets, we're seeing it on our main roads, and there doesn't seem to be any acknowledgement that it's not okay. Bylaw officers do their best to deal with the issue, but when it comes to Crown Land, camping is allowed for a maximum of two weeks. That's something that's nearly impossible to monitor or enforce. So local stakeholders are working together to manage the situation. To discuss what kind of solutions can be found and what kind of preparations they can, we can, here on the West Coast take into account for this summer and, and come up with a plan. In the long term, a housing study is underway for all areas of the regional district in hopes of putting an end to this growing trend. Hopefully we'll be able to find some kind of solutions to address the needs that are coming forward. Kylie Stanton, Global News. The cost of the new North Shore wastewater treatment plant under construction has ballooned and Metro Vancouver taxpayers will end up footing that cost overrun. When work started in 2014, the project was projected to cost $400 million. In 2017, the budget was revised to $700 million. And today, Metro Vancouver issued a short statement saying the new cost estimate is just over a billion dollars. The project now won't be completed until 2024. In Health Matters tonight, a good news update on the Made in BC technology that helps connect people who could be experiencing an overdose with first responders. The Lifeguard app offers a lifeline to people who are using drugs alone by monitoring the window during which an overdose can occur. Users activate their status before taking a drug, and if they don't check in within a few minutes, first responders are notified. Well, BCEHS says that right after our story aired on Global News yesterday, there's been a huge uptick in demand for the app. Already, uh, the Lifeguard app has saved 16 lives. Um, but remarkably, yesterday, uh, after the story went live on TV at 7 p.m., just over an hour later, we had an alert come through the 911 system. Paramedics were able to respond, uh, revive that person and take them to hospital in a stable state and their, their life is saved. Great work by first responders there and everyone involved. So once again, the Lifeguard app can be downloaded at both the App Store and from Google Play. Still ahead, the debate over daylight saving time. There is some now doubt that California wants to continue down this road. This was supposed to be, maybe, the last time we changed the clocks. So why are we still waiting? Also tonight, satellite debris. Forget spring, it's going to feel like summer tomorrow. <laughs> Excellent timing too, Christy. Yes, especially in areas like Camlas. Wait till you see the number that they're expecting tomorrow afternoon. This is seen earlier for, uh, today. Michael Schwartz sending us that. That's looking out from Brentwood towards uh, Mount Baker. But we did see some cloud cover today. But it was dry, it was bright, it was warm. Nothing like what they saw in Haida Gwaii. And there's still a snowfall warning for those areas. So areas like Haida Gwaii, Prince Rupert, especially Stewart. A heavy snow expected overnight. Stewart could see in excess of 20 centimeters. Terrace, uh, 5 to 15 for you. It will transition to rain tomorrow as everything starts to warm up and it drops to the south. But for the most part, you will see that heavy snow overnight and through the morning hours tomorrow. There's a change, though, for the south coast area. So we'll start off with sunshine. Saturday's looking great, but we'll likely see periods of rain on Sunday. So there's that moisture there across the north coast. Again, snowfall overnight transitioning to rain during the day. Uh, there's that 17 degrees for Kamloops, so well above seasonal for this time of year. Stunning conditions, 14 degrees 
degrees for us. So a really nice Saturday, but Sunday we're looking at periods of rain. Don't forget we change our clocks on Sunday and it means that we'll have nice long evenings, which is great. Of course, uh, it's spring break for a lot of kids next week, which is nice. And this is Dancing Owl. Uh, Sylvester Law sending us this one from Delta. He's uh, enjoying the fact that it's Friday. He's feeling the beat. <laughs> I love it. All right, thanks very much, Christy. Well, you mentioned it as we all get ready to spring ahead this weekend. It looks like the clock has stopped ticking for now, at least towards permanent daylight saving time. As Paul Johnson reports, despite legislation passed by the B.C. government back in 2019, we appear to be no closer to leaving our clocks alone. That's how many British Columbians respond to the idea of stopping our twice yearly clock reset. I'm so sick of this. I mean, I have been all my life, but I have several clocks and by the time six months goes around, I can't remember how to set them. And who wants to anyway? It's a social engineering project that dates back to the First World War era. And having the political sense to know when something is stale is part of how you get to be Canada's most popular premier. We've been working with our neighbours to the south. While Premier Horgan's ready to do away with spring forward and fall back, he acknowledges now that to make it work, B.C. would have to do it in sync with the West Coast U.S. states. Washington and Oregon so far are on board, but California's questionable at the moment. So for the time being, no can do despite some studies that show an overwhelming number of people support ditching the practice. I think it's a good idea. We've never done it before. Let's give it a shot. If it doesn't work out, we can always go back. In all practicality, dropping the clock resets is likely going to need a top-down decision in the U.S. Horgan says our ambassador in Washington is keeping an eye on things, and the possibility's already been floated by Florida Senator Marco Rubio with his Sunshine Protection Act. Doesn't that sound like the kind of thing that could take off in Vancouver? For now, my advice to people is let's spring forward, change the uh, batteries on your smoke detector, and let's hope that this is the last time. Paul Johnson, Global News. Don't forget the smoke detectors and later the smoke eaters. But for now, let's check in with Squire. For, uh, <laughs> that was good. Well, go. well I do my best. Pretty good. Uh, it's got to keep up with you, man. No, no, no. You're a professional, too. Uh, after a lot of back and forth with the government, the BCHL has the green light to play a short season. A few of our owners reported to me that there were a lot of cheers going on in the dressing rooms. They will play in April and May in five different hub cities. Good news. Also good news tonight, it's satellite debris. The health gods have said, let there be hockey, as far as the BCHL is con yes. concerned anyway. And that's good. Yeah. Give the kids a bit of, uh, a bit of action. The uh, BCHL has gotten the province's approval to uh, run a short season starting in early April and ending in May. It likely won't be more than 20 games a team, but at least the players, many of whom are hoping to get scholarships to U.S. universities, will have a chance to showcase their talents to the people who make the decision down south. Uh, the teams will divide themselves in the five hub cities. They still haven't quite finalized which cities will be the hubs or who will play who. So we're going to take the next uh, few, few days to figure out the schedule because teams do have the option to, to not play. You know, if, if they can't make it work, uh, then, then we completely understand that. And the idea is a five-week segment of a regular season. 
We have not spoken about playoffs, but who knows? And, you know, between now and the middle of May, there could be changes in all of the restrictions that allow us to have some sort of playoff. But we'll we'll deal with that once we get these kids back on the ice. Apparently, Travis Green had to do some yelling at practice today, but he didn't yell at Brandon Sutter, Antoine Roussel or Jay Beagle because they missed it with some ailments. They won't say what they are. And it doesn't look like all three will miss tomorrow's game with Edmonton, although we aren't sure which ones are likely to play and which ones aren't. Whatever the case, losing players like that might not seem as big a deal as losing someone like Elias Pedersen, but it certainly affects something like the penalty kill. Anytime you lose uh, someone out of your group, they most of them play on one special team or the other, and it's going to affect it. So we'll have to... Uh, Someone else will have to get the job done, but we're not there yet. It's, uh, I said, like I said, this is, this was practice today. We had a few guys off the ice. Um, a lot of these questions might not be for anything. The Whitecaps have needed a midfielder who can push the offense and they may have one now. And Kyle Alexandre of Brazil, only 22 years old, actually the kind of player who's not afraid also to play in his, his end of the field either a box-to-box -box midfielder, as they like to call him. The only thing is, because he has to come from Brazil and with COVID still raging in that country, it's going to take a while for him to get clearance to get in a Whitecaps uniform. He certainly won't be here in Vancouver. He'll join them in Salt Lake City, but when he is ready to play, the Whitecaps do see him as a starter. Well, the name Trail Smoke Eaters isn't just known in the BCHL, where the franchise resides now. It's also known all over the hockey world because twice the Smoke Eaters repped Canada to a World Hockey Championship, including 60 years ago today. It's still one of the greatest moments in Canadian hockey history, and we all know that saying something in this country. But some may not know the Smoke Eaters almost didn't even make the trip back in 1961. The Chatham Maroons, who had Trail's own Cesar Maniego as their goalie, came into Trail and beat the Smoke Eaters that year. Hockey Canada was hoping Chatham would go to the Worlds, but they didn't have the money. So Tech Resources, known as Tech Kamenko back in the day, put up $40,000, and the rest is history. Even Hockey Canada did not want the Trail Smoke Eaters to go and compete in the World Championships because they didn't think they were good enough. And I think at the end of the day, that was enough motivation to have 17 locals head out of town into Switzerland and beat the Russians and the Swedes. There are just a handful of players still alive from that 1961 team, but the memories are still vivid. They were certainly well prepared, having traveled to Russia and six other European countries to play 13 tune-up games. David Russnell remembers playing coach Bobby Crom, whipping them into the best shape of any team at the Worlds. He had some ferocious practices, but we couldn't complain because he's doing stops and starts just like the rest of us. So he was very forceful. He was really determined, and he was a, a great, true leader. The Smokies smoked the Russians 5-1 and went 6-0-1 in the tournament, tying the Czechs, but beating them on goal differential to win the gold. An incredible feat, proudly worn by the town of Trail all these decades later. The city wants to ensure that that legacy continues for future generations because I think it's been the mold that's established our community as a strong, hardworking community town, as an inspiration to our youth, and as a great remembrance for those of us that remember the famous 61 Smoke Eaters.
All right, to the uh, Players' Championship, there's the famous or infamous, depending on how you do there, 17th hole. And this is uh, Denny McCarthy. This is the third hole. And this is an ace. And this is Corey Connors. Tied for fourth after day one. Makes a nice birdie from off the green on the 13th. He uh, is tied for 14th at minus four. Nick Taylor and Adam Hadwin made the cut. Lee Westwood leads by one at nine under par. And Tom Brady has signed a one-year extension with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he'll keep on doing that yep. until he's 73, and then he'll think about retiring. <laughs> until he doesn't win a Super Bowl, maybe. Who, who knows? All right, thanks, Squire. Here's Andrew now with a preview of Global News at 11, Ann. Thanks, Chris. Sentencing has been handed down for a Vancouver man charged in a child porn investigation. According to Vancouver police, the victims ranged in age from as young as 3 to 10 years old, and thousands of images were seized. And it's one of the many downsides to the pandemic, the staggering number of PPE, such as masks and gloves, that are ending up in landfills. According to a Metro Vancouver report, hundreds of millions of pieces have been tossed. Those stories and more tonight at 11, Chris. All right, and thanks very much. And when we come back, Squires got satellite debris teed up. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There are some questions that need to be answered here. This was a high-risk, high-reward strategy. So we wanted to set the record straight. How do you grow as a human being if you're not going to open your ears and listen? No doubt some fine spring skiing tomorrow, but before we get there, let's talk satellite debris, Squire. All right, we're going to start off with Pedigree, who wants to tell us that small dogs are people too. No, that's not right, because they're not people. <laughs> but they do count, even though they're small. Small dogs live large. Feed them right with Pedigree Mini. Tiny bubbles. I don't know. 
Lately, I've just been feeling a little small. Make me happy. Sometimes I feel like I live in a world that, you know, isn't really built for me. And I've tried to fit in. You know, I used to do these stretches my vet said would lengthen my muscles. That was a disaster. Uh, one time I tried to dress like one of the other dogs in town. I don't think he noticed. The truth is, I'm a small dog. I guess you can say, what's so bad about small, right? My best friend Tiny doesn't seem to care. You know, look at the computer chip and what that can do. Or a diamond, you know. You know people spend like $100 on one of those. You know, so I guess in life it's all about how you look at it. Tiny tells me I should work on developing my Napoleon complex. I guess I could if I knew what that meant. But in the meantime, if you could just throw me a bone that's a little smaller, I'd like that. Perfect voice. He was, was, yeah, really. <laughs> and really I actually really know how that dog feels. Um, okay, so they always say music soothes the savage beast. In this case, it's Enya. Sail, let me sail, let the Orinoco flow. Let me reach, let me beach on the shores of Tripoli. Let me sail, let me sail, let me crash upon the shore. Let me reach, let me beach far beyond the yellow sea. I got in the zone there, too. If Enya can't help your issues within your car or about your car, then certainly the trunk monkey can. Cash only. But all I have is the car. Oh, I guess we'll have to duel. You win, you get the gas. You lose, I get that car. Dueling banjos, not dueling with banjos. The Trunk Monkey Dueling Edition, only at Suburban Auto Group. Fuck yeah, misunderstanding there. I always thought the Trunk Monkey should have his own series. He'd be great. <laughs> He'd be fantastic. All right, uh, nice day tomorrow, Christy? Great day tomorrow, yes. Right across southern BC, but still heavy snow for areas across the north coast overnight. All right, thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here Monday.